Welcome to the market, sponsored by the CME Group. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, spending this time together looking at markets from Wall Street to agriculture. And definitely the trade situation continues in the spotlight for both Wall Street and agriculture. So we'll get to that a little bit later. And we're also going to talk to Naomi Bloom of Stuart Peterson, based in West Bend, Wisconsin. We find her to be a bright young lady who understands markets and reports on them very well. So she'll be sitting down with Max Armstrong a little bit later here on the program. The Dateline, Friday, September 7, Chicago. And looking at today's action on Wall Street to end this holiday-shortened trading week, the major indices fell as President Trump raised the possibility of additional tariffs on Chinese imports, and Apple indicated that some of its products could be subjected to such levies. Stocks were lower for most of the session today, but dipped even further in the last hour half hour of trading on reports that the Apple products, including the Apple Watch and AirPods, would be slapped with duties. And Apple shares, which had been in positive territory for most of the session, ended down eight-tenths of a percent. The company provided those details in response to the White House's proposed tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. A comment period for those tariffs ended Thursday night, and then earlier today, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow said the president would not make any decisions on those tariffs until officials evaluated public comments. Uh, Quincy Crosby, chief analyst at Prudential Financial, said Apple is a bellwether name. That's why we may be seeing some profit-taking going into the weekend. U.S. stocks had, of course, already been pressured after Trump said he had tariffs ready to impose on an additional $267 billion worth of Chinese imports. That's on top of the proposed $200 billion. The escalated trade rhetoric contributed to anxiety among investors regarding the market outlook. And so, at we, as we look at the end of this way, week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 79 points today, ending at 25,963. 16. The S&P lost six points, ending at 28.71, and the Nasdaq dropped 20 points, ending the week at 79.02. And for the week, the Dow lost uh, about a fifth of a percent. The S&P fell a little over one percent, the Nasdaq, though, was down 2.5%. As a matter of fact, the Nasdaq registered its greatest weekly percentage decline since late March, while the S&P's weekly percentage drop was the biggest since late June. The S&P and the Dow had opened lower. That's right, opened lower after the U.S. Labor Department's employment report showed accelerating job growth and a surge in wage growth. You would think that would be good news for the market. 
It indicated a strong economy. But instead of being good news for the market, it raised concerns among investors regarding inflation and the Federal Reserve's plans for increasing interest rates. And with the added pressures from trade concerns, 10 of the S&P's 11 major sector ended the day lower. Shares of chipmaker Broadcom rose seven and three quarters percent after a strong current quarter revenue forecast. But then you have to look at Tesla. Uh, is it shooting itself in the foot? I'm not sure. Tesla shares down six and a third percent following reports of two executives leaving the company, one who had been with the company for only a month, and on mounting investor concerns about chief executive Elon Musk's behavior after he smoked marijuana on a live web show. And we may talk a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later here on the program because uh, that stock has really dropped because of it. Oil prices, though, were steady today with U.S. crude slipping on weak global equity markets. Brent inched higher in geopolitical factors. The uh, West Texas U.S. crude settled down two cents At $67.75 a barrel, Brent crude futures settled up 33 cents, ending the week at $76.83 a barrel. So that's a quick look at the week, and now let's look at the week ahead to see what's going to happen in the way of reports and economic news. It's a busy week ahead. With inflation, retail sales and manufacturing reports scheduled for release, the Labor Department expected to report on Wednesday that its producer price index for final demand uh, increased two-tenths of a percent in August after being unchanged in July. And then a report from the Labor Department on Thursday likely to show the consumer price index rose three-tenths of a percent in August after an increase of two-tenths of a percent in July. The Commerce Department expected to report on Friday that retail sales rose four-tenths of a percent in August, that despite a decline in auto sales. Excluding automobiles, gasoline, building materials, and food services, retail sales probably advanced four-tenths of a percent in August. Also on Friday, a report from the Federal Reserve likely to show industrial production climbed a third of a percent in August. Manufacturing output is forecast also rising a third of a percent after increasing by the same margin in July. Apple is expected to release new iPhone models and a new Apple Watch model at an event the company is staging at uh, its headquarters in Cupertino, California. And the U.S. supermarket chain Kroger expected to report another increase in quarterly same-store sales as the company's restock program that aims to revamp supermarkets cut prices, and boost in-store technology continues to pay off. 
Investors will also keep a close eye on the company's forecast as rivals like Walmart offer big discounts on groceries and threaten to eat into the market share currently occupied by Kroger. The Federal Reserve will issue its so-called Beige Book on Wednesday, a compendium of anecdotes on the health of the economy drawn from the central bank sources across the nation. So that uh, activity from the Federal Reserve coming next week. And, of course, September 25 and 26... They will take another look at what to do with interest rates and the feeling on Wall Street very strong at the moment that we will get an interest rate increase uh, the end of this month. And looking to the north, uh, Statistics Canada scheduled to report industrial capacity utilization data for the second quarter and expected to have increased by 87%. The AT on Monday, the Federal Reserve expected to report the outstanding credit extended to American consumers increased to $13 billion in July. That would be up slightly from the amount in June. AT&T, the second largest U.S. wireless carrier by number of customers, will reveal more details about its plans to launch a 5G network in select cities by the end of the year. AT&T is racing against rivals Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint to be the first to launch the next iteration of the wireless network that expected to bring faster data speeds. And finally, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will hold his first meeting with European Trade Commissioner Cecilia Malmstrom in Brussels, and uh, that's the group charged with mending the uh, trade disagreements we currently have with the European Union. And, of course, the NAFTA talks are continuing between the U.S. and Canada. Canada be a little more optimistic about the outcome being positive as those talks continue. Looking at other activity this week, the U.S. trade deficit rose to a five-month high in July with the politically sensitive gap with China hitting a record high. U.S. job growth accelerated in August, and wages notched their largest annual increase in more than nine years. The Labor Department said non-farm payrolls went up by 201,000 jobs last month, and the unemployment rate remained unchanged. New orders for U.S.-made goods fell slightly more than expected in July, weighed down by weak demand for aircraft. But signs of a pickup in business spending suggested the manufacturing sector remained on good ground. And then there's the Tesla story. One more look at it because the shares today were down nearly 9% as the resignation of its chief accounting officer after just a month on the job spooked investors amid another social media storm around billionaire chief executive Elon Musk. 
who apparently appeared on web TV sometime in the past day or two, smoking marijuana. And investors were concerned about that. Well, we'll come back to talk markets with Naomi Bloom when we continue on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. In the studio with us this weekend, Naomi Bloom from Stuart Peterson. Uh, what do you think about what's happening in our corn and soybean fields now? And what we'll see from the USDA come Wednesday. Yeah, those fields are soaked. They're just um, underwater in so many places, and they just can't take a break from the rain. So it'll be interesting to see um, the early harvest that we all thought was going to happen maybe is not going to happen like we were thinking. And and the USDA report next week, we're already expecting them to not do too much with yields, mostly keep it in line with what they said in August, which is big numbers. So we're looking at a good-sized crop out there, um, and then hopefully the rain will stop and the harvest can get underway on time. If there were to be a yield surprise come Wednesday from USDA, would it most likely be on the soybean side? It would be, and the surprise would be if it was substantially higher than what trade is anticipating. The recent crop tours are saying more like 53 bushel. And if the USDA does confirm that, that's priced into the market already. Um, but the bigger picture shows that ending stocks then swell to 900 million bushels, and that's the biggest ever in the United States. And it's just going to keep a pressure on prices, and it's going to keep pressure on basis. Basis are on the Mississippi River in Iowa is a dollar under on soybeans, which is unheard of. In the Dakotas, it's a dollar fifty under. So, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get anything friendly on this report. But I can't imagine it being anything more negative than what we're already been trading and talking about. How well situated are your farmer customers to store, to to put that grain away for a while? Oh, Did they get it all cleared out? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people were waiting for the summer rally that never happened. And so they've been um, pricing little bits along the way, like the end of July throughout August, knowing that prices likely weren't going to come back in, in, full, in full measure. And so they've been selling what they can, but it seems like with most people, there's always a little bit something left, and they're really surprised now with this wide basis, and, and they're you know wondering what to do. So the conversation has been, well, do I store it? And, and we say, well, the futures price may come up, but what if your basis doesn't come up? Because then you're still not getting those prices that you're hoping for, and then that goes into the conversation about uh, the payment from the government and, and trying to use that as a way to help with the loss of prices that we've had. What do you feel will be the sense of urgency, if any, in bringing this crop in? And, I, and I'm asking specifically, well, you know, it's not exciting to see the kind of prices we have right now. But when you look out at those fields and we're hearing chatter, especially about corn standability problems and, and this fungus that has resulted apparently, especially in the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin region, we've been hearing in weakened corn stalks. Yeah, we have just started been hearing that also, and it is something to monitor. I, I, I don't know how that would affect trade. I don't know how it's going to affect things down the road. It is something, I will say, that is on the very back burner 
of trade talk, and that could really come to the front marketplace sooner than later. And I, and how that would affect harvest. I, there's there still is just so much old crop for corn that came to market, and elevators are full, and we're expecting to have bigger crops. So I don't think that basis improves over the top unless you know something substantial is happening with the market and the marketplace in terms of maybe E85 or if we can get the export markets picked up too. Given the fact there's so much negativity priced in to the market already, if there is some trade positive news, if there is some ethanol positive news, will it move the needle a little bit in your mind? Uh, and will it provide maybe some pricing opportunity here at Harvest perhaps? Um, here's my, my best estimate for what is going to be happening in the probably the next two months, is that I really strongly feel that the corn market is bottoming. I feel that the price is bottoming, but we don't have that news to get the market to work higher. Yes, we're all aware that next year the global ending stocks are going to be the tightest in history. But if soybean prices stay as low as they are, we're going to see a lot more acres shift to corn next year. So that's going to solve the tight ending stocks problem. And with the soybean market, we just have that su- supply surplus out there and and it's going to be um, probably a marketplace that doesn't see too much momentum for prices, more of a sideways trading range. So meaning corn futures, 350 for December futures absolutely holds a support. In the short term, we don't have any reason to get the prices above 365. If we can get through 365, we'll go to 380 real quick, but this is the futures price. And on the soybean side of things, November beans have solid support at 825 with resistance at 850 on charts for futures. But we don't have a reason to get prices through there. And so we're going to be watching to make sure that those support levels hold. And in order to get the marketplace to move higher, we need confirmation that China is going to be buying some beans from us. Because right now what they've said is that they're going to be reducing their imports by 9.5% this coming year. And that they're going to be um, buying like 70 million metric tons from Brazil. And then so what's needed then is an additional 20 million metric tons based on this reduction. I mean, we are out of the marketplace. So we need some magic to happen sooner than later. And we need um, maybe other countries to start buying our products, or we would need bad weather in South America this winter, seriously, in order to get this bean market moving higher, just because there is global ending stocks that are the largest in history and U.S. ending stocks that are the largest in history. So the soybean market for the first time in years is not the big story anymore. We're sitting here less than two months away ahead of the midterm elections and knowing the propensity for political shenanigans and actions to be timed to the political calendar. What is the possibility in the mind of the trade that there could be some very positive news relative to China ahead of those midterm elections? And if that is the case, will there be at least some kind of a market reaction in your mind? That is a huge point and one that I am watching equally as much as as yield numbers. Um, If that could happen, we're a miraculous last minute friendly trade notion happened just in time for midterm elections the marketplace will respond and the futures price will definitely jump higher because the funds have been short in this marketplace uh the trade is looking for some friendly news out there and if we can have that if we can see and have the confirmation that the export market is moving and that the basis is improving along the river if those things can happen i think you see soybean futures rally 50 cents to a dollar within two weeks but we'll see what happens at the end of october right 
Farm organization leaders came out of a meeting with the president and the vice president and the ag secretary this week. Some of them were pretty upbeat. Some were fairly optimistic by the comments that that they issued. So it'll be interesting to see, as you say. Coming back to crops for just a moment. Some of the yield reports, and I have to tell you, I do not hear many terrible soybean yield estimates from growers. As I've been quizzing them and the numbers they give me, I quiz them a second time and say, are you kidding or are you sure? I mean, there's some big numbers being circulated around about potential soybean yields. You get into western Illinois, there are people talking about a three-digit soybean yield. I'm talking about that area around Jacksonville. As you go west of Springfield, plopped in there between Springfield and Quincy, about a possibility of 100 bushel beans. Now, certainly far more the exception than the rule, but still we're seeing bean yield numbers skewed higher than many people were thinking Uh, a month ago. Right. And if that's the case, and if yield numbers continue to climb, uh, just continues the bearish argument for the marketplace on prices. And and it, it absolutely could be quite possible when I see farmer pictures on Twitter talking about their crops. I'm like, how many pods are on that plant? You know, I'm just counting, looking at this photo. And I've never seen soybeans like this in my life. It's amazing. Um, so we'll keep an eye on what is actually out there at harvest as we get closer to it. We get 60 days away from this point as we're visiting. We'll have a much clearer picture, I think, uh, in more ways than one. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it'll be an upbeat one. I, I, let's hope, right? Let's get some positive demand news. That would really help things along. Is there anything else that your growers are sharing with you or that you are sharing with them that we should hear? Um, Mostly producers just wondering and watching about timing of cash sales. That's the biggest focus right now. Um, Is it worthwhile to re-own with call options? What's the realistic value you can receive on things? And so just the emphasis on while you have a little bit of downtime before harvest, it is important to brush up on your marketing skills. I've got a lot of people calling to just in- inquire. And that's when it's, for me, it's fun because I enjoy math and showing how if you buy this call option, this is what it could return on your investment if the market goes up 40 cents or if the market goes up only 20 cents. And so a lot of times uh, marketing is the thing that's on the back burner. But I think with the recent price action, it needs to be forefront on producers' minds, especially going forward. If it ends up being a lean year again for prices, We have to be more aggressive and on our toes to make sure we're nailing the timing of cash sales. It's money in your pocket, and we have to be aggressive on that. And then if it's appropriate to use any futures or options for various reasons, then we'll do it. And if it's not needed for the time being, then that's okay, too. So make sure you have your marketing plan in check. Understand your local markets and what's going on, and be thinking about the whole big picture and the weighted average price of your farm and your bushels going forward for 2019. Recalling the change of the scenario around Memorial Day this spring, how many of your growers did, in fact, take advantage of that higher price scenario that we had before the end of May? Yeah, I would say a good portion of them had been plugging away with their cash sales. I think without question on old crop and new crop, but of course, in hindsight, it wasn't enough. And then once the market starts falling, There's never, of course, enough that you can do in hindsight. So I would say cash sales weren't as aggressive as they had been in years past because the high came three weeks early. Um, And and in hindsight, of course, the puts that were bought, never enough puts. And so... Will that it's, will that sharpen our focus then in this harvest season? You think? Oh, I, that I think absolutely. <laughs> I think absolutely. I think uh, the threat 
of the black swan, and in this case, going forward, a black swan doesn't have to be perceived as a negative thing. What if we have a black swan in terms of positive trade news? And on top of that, what if we have positive news as far as the E85 goes? Those are things that can make the market turn higher instantly, and you got to have a scenario plan in place in case the market all of a sudden takes off higher. What are realistically the higher levels that it can go to? Where are you going to make your cash sales? And just when the market starts going higher, that's when all of a sudden you start hearing the $8 corn guys start speaking up, and so you got to be able to tune out the noise and be thinking about realistically what's possible for your farm. Great point. Good to see you again, Naomi. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Well, they were working on the farm bill on Capitol Hill this week, and there were some interesting comments coming out of those meetings and discussions. President Trump even entered into the conversation by saying he hoped the farm bill would include a work requirement for physically able people who are on food stamps. And that comment prompted Speaker of the House Paul Ryan today to issue his statement saying that the uh, SNAP recipients get access to skills-based education so they can find a job and improve their futures. Let me share some of the speaker's words. Most of the spending in the farm bill is on what we think of as food stamps, now called SNAP. And here's the problem. It's a good problem. The economy is growing really well. Unemployment is extremely low. Employers are looking for workers, and there are a lot of careers to be had out there. The Farm Bill is a perfect opportunity to get people off the sidelines, into the workforce, into school, into good careers, and employers need it. So it's a win-win-win. Employers find workers, people find work, they find careers, and the economy grows. That's why we're talking about this in the Farm Bill. I'm not sure the Democratic side of the Hill is going to agree with that, however, because the uh, millions of people who are on the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, it used to be called Food Stamps, and... uh, They're going to look at it as taking food away from hungry people, while the Republicans are looking at it as giving them an opportunity to go to work and find a job. So we're going to continue to watch that one. Meanwhile, Canada's top trade negotiator and her American counterpart started a third day of talks today to save the North American Free Trade Agreement. Differences between the two sides appear to have narrowed. Foreign Minister Christia Freeland repeated her upbeat assessment of the negotiations, again terming them constructive. The main sticking point in discussions appeared to be Canada's dairy quota program. 
according to White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow, who spoke before the start of the meeting to save the three-country pact that covers $1.2 billion in trade. So it's like watching paint dry, but apparently something is happening, and we're getting closer to the deadline, you will remember. September 30th, if we don't have a new farm bill in place, we will have to go back to the farm rules written into the 1948 farm bill to uh, conduct the spending programs for uh, the USDA. So it's going going to be very close to that deadline, and we'll have to keep an eye on it. Next week in Grand Island, Nebraska, it's Husker Harvest Days. That's the biggest irrigation show in the world, and according to a member of the Farm Progress Companies last week, it has more exhibitors at Grand Island, Nebraska, than the Farm Progress Show had at Boone, Iowa uh, earlier this month. So we'll keep an eye on that. Max Armstrong will attend. And as we end our session this week, a quick look at prices. December live lean hogs up 15 cents for the day. October live cattle up a dollar fifteen cents for the day, and October feeder cattle up a dollar thirty seven cents a hundredweight for the day. The grain market here's how we ended September wheat was up a penny and a quarter a bushel four eighty six and three and a quarter. Uh, December corn up one and a quarter at three sixty seven. November soybeans up five and three quarters at eight forty four. Thank you for joining us for our weekly visit to look at the markets, sponsored by the CME Group.